Hey guys, welcome back. This is Courtsahe, Courtsahe.com, and we are back with another podcast episode. And we are coming back from a four-day break. Um, apologies for missing Thursdays and Fridays podcast episode. I know it's not like us to miss those days. However, with school for me starting back up, it was just getting extremely busy. And we're just keep trying to get through content for the website, social media, and different things like that. So again, apologies for that. One quick note before we jump into today's podcast episode. Right now, my Courts of Heat studio is being uh, redone remodeled so if you hear an echo that means everything has been taken out of this room me and meaning not one thing like a tiny little light was left in this room which is really funny if you think about it so right now i'm just walking around no furniture um yeah so if you hear an echo that is why but yeah just walking around <laughs> but you know what I don't actually mind next. I just walk around anyways. So seeing no furniture just allows me to walk in new places where my desk would be at or where my chair would be at. But yeah, if so, if you all join inside, if you hear an echo, don't uh, don't think it's like your guys' headphones or anything like that, or don't think I'm just trying to do this in an echoey room. No, it's just because we're remodeling the studio. And we're just trying to get things time right. For all the uh, numerous months and whatnot. With that being said, let's jump right into this podcast episode. But before we do that, let's talk about social media. I talk about it every single podcast episode within the first few minutes. It's where people are able to connect. But of course, you're able to connect through the website, of course. Whether that be Medium or whether that be our main uh, website. Our main website would be courtsideheat.com. But also we have courtsideheat.medium.com. Both are two great places to get content. And we're still trying to update Medium as fast as we can. So I would heavily suggest you guys go Go to courtsaheat.com and just look at all the content. We're coming out with day-to-day content as it's being reported. And, of course, it's also being broken on social media, like the Kevin Love news, like the Lawyer Marketing news. With all the breaking news that happened over the weekend, that's been happening each and every day. And with all that being said, how can you get to us on social media? There are billions of users on different platforms combined and individually. Take a look at Instagram, Facebook. They have over billion um, users on their platforms, which is crazy if you think about it. And then you take other companies. Um, I don't know how many uh, users TikTok has, but they have um, many groups. Uh, not groups, but they have many followers, they have many users, right? Same with Snapchat, same with Parlors. Parlors not as huge, but you get where I'm going at. All of these different platforms for social media use have huge followings if and when they're going to be around for these long periods of time. So to get started with us, just to come check out our page, 
get to know more, get to know content that's that's being flown around the NBA world, right? Breaking news is happening every single day, nonstop. Something's always happening, and that's just that. And without further ado, let's get right into it. We have courtside heat. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Whoops. We have Instagram.com slash courtside heat NBA. We have Twitter.com slash courtside heat. Facebook.com slash courtside heat. Tumblr.com slash courtside heat. Courtside heat.medium.com. Courtside heat.com. And all of these different places. And of course, you can listen to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Podcast. Which is pretty much self-explanatory on where you guys can listen to the podcast. If not on the website. Because how are you guys listening to it right now if it's not one of those four main streaming platforms. Or even, I even know on this, if you are a reason... If you guys are on Reason or Podbay, you guys can also connect with us there. And also, if you guys want to um, find all that stuff, find all and you cannot remember it like I, then go to Google.com and type in one word, Quartzite Heat, one word, Quartzite Heat, and you'll be able to find the websites, the social medias, uh, the stores, the spread shops, and everything else. So, with all that being said, let's move on to the content. What this podcast episode is truly about, and not me here just talking about and promoting social media and website links. So, getting into um, this Monday morning, whether you are going to school whether you're driving into work, whether you're staying home and working, or you're just staying home, welcome. We're happy to have you on today's podcast episode. Like always, we're getting tons of new visitors to this podcast, and we're getting so many reoccurring. So thank you to everyone that's coming to this podcast and continuing their support by listening to us. Each of you matters. Each Listen is very, very uh, appreciated. And yeah, so wherever you guys are at, let's jump right into this. And we're starting off with Rajon Rondo. If no one remembers, we talked about this extensively with the Patrick Beverly trade that featured Rajon Rondo and another player that was shipped off to the Memphis Grizzlies for Eric Bledsoe. Well, the Clippers traded Rajon Rondo and Patrick Beverly because they were on expiring contracts. On these expiring contracts, just one season left, that's it. And they had no intentions of re-signing the two basketball players. With all that being said, they're like, hey, Memphis, you can have these veterans, these aging veterans, but we want our originally drafted player back. We want Eric Bledsoe back. We want to have a family reunion, for lack of a fa- uh, better phrase. So, long story short, they didn't. The Grizzlies didn't really want to have an aging roster. They didn't want to have a full veterans. That's why Patrick Beverly um, got traded to the Timberwolves. That's why Rajon Rondo's contract has been bought out. 
and we're going to get to that in a minute. But the whole ideology behind this is say, look, we want our younger guys like Dylan Brooks, like uh, Steven Adams, like John Moran. All of these different young athletic players have to come in here. And we want to have a culture, want to have a death chart that's not having guys over the age of 32 and beyond, right? You want to have guys below 30. And that's really what they're targeting. And that's through John Moran, Brooks, uh, Adams, and different players like that. So with all of that being said, that's where Patrick Beverly shipped off to his second team in three days when he got traded, of course, within that uh, Friday to Sunday span or over the weekend, right? Heading into the new week. Then, of course, we saw Rajon Rondo, where he was going to go. Well, speaking of fan reunions, the Clippers got theirs with Eric Bledsoe, but now also the Lakers are getting theirs. With the contract buyout of Rajon Rondo, there is huge speculation that the front runners of signing him once clearing waivers today that Rajon Rondo is going to go back to uh, the Lakers, to the team that he won the 2020 NBA Finals with, who were crowned champions of the NBA world in 2020 during the NBA bubble and whatnot. So, we could be seeing a fan reunion now. And it's most likely that. That's the only team that has been that way. It's pretty much confirmed to be that way. So, if any other team got involved in that process of signing Rajon Rondo, that would be a shocker and a huge understatement to say the least because there is huge speculation and confirming Reports that would say Ronda, Ronda, uh, Ron, oh my gosh, Rajon Rondo's going back to LA this time, not going far, just going from LA to LA, pretty much from the Clippers to the Lakers. And yeah, that's that's actually not bad. That's actually not bad for Rondo. He's just pretty much just going to an L.A. team. He didn't need to fly over to Memphis, back to L.A., I don't think, unless he already did that. But he's pretty much just traveling a few hours instead of having on several airplanes just to get back to L.A. to be like, yeah, I'm flying back. But Rajon Rondo, when this deal goes through, and if he takes the, and he's going to be taking a veteran minimum contract, one of the final free roster spots that the Los Angeles Lakers has open, have left, would be taking the various minimum, as stated previously. But also, he will be the fifth player to return back to the Lakers in their entire career. Guys like Trevor Reza and all those different players, or like Dwight Howard, all those different guys that once played for the Lakers are coming back. They're ready for another championship. And no matter how old they are, they're still giving it their all in. You have to respect that on some level. But you also have to say to yourself, when is LeBron ever going to try to punt his own? I don't think he can anymore. But that's not today's conversation. But speaking of Rajon Rondo, he's confirmed on that. He's taking the very minimum. He averaged five points per game combined against uh, or for the Clippers and the Hawks. 
before when the Hawks traded him to LA and different things like that, right? So, this brings up a really, really good um, point. And it was brought up because who remembers Isaiah Thomas? Dropped 81 points in the crossover game, in the Pro-Am League game. Who remembers that? And we're going like, oh, he's going to get another NBA shot. The Lakers going to sign him. Well, they were on the verge of signing him. They wanted to sign him, and there's no indication on if they're passing up on him. But with that being said, before Rondo bought out his contract, they were on the verge. But now they bought out his contract, they may be hesitant to um, sign Isaiah Thomas because they're pretty much the same. I don't want to say same player because it's unfair to do to both men because they have different builds and whatnot, but... They're pretty much the same position. Uh, Rajon Rondo's a point guard. And the last time I checked, Isaiah Thomas is also a point guard. He is. So with all of that being said, why would you need another point guard when you have Russell Westbrook and then your backup, which would be Rajon Rondo, if the starting lineup or if the lineups are being set correctly? So, if they were on the verge to get IT, uh, IT, but then they see playoff Rondo come back, and they're like, wait a minute, he got the contract, but we're just going to get him. And they're going to get him for a veteran minimum? Why would he need a point guard? Because it's not like, well, you could switch out one or two men to go to shooting guard or different things like that, or split the minutes on point guard, but... Would you just be throwing away a roster spot to throw away? Or would you truly see value in Isaiah Thomas? That's where we're at right now. But the report is very uh, unsettling for the fans of Isaiah Thomas, for the spectators of Isaiah Thomas, and for Isaiah Thomas himself. Because before Rondo was bought out by Memphis... The Lakers were on the verge of signing him. But it seems like things are going in a different direction. That is my speculation. I do not know if any other report is conflicting what I'm saying. But Colonel, what I know of this Monday in 2021 of August 30th. That's what we're seeing. Could we sign IT? Maybe. But I don't know if they're going to because they're filled the point guard position. They're getting back another player they're familiar with. That played with LeBron. That played with all these guys. With the, within the organization, right? Because you're seeing a lot of familiar faces, but also some different faces. But you see that collaboration of old against new in terms of is they're with the uh, organization or not. But it's going to be something to keep an eye on, right? Because it's like... Oh, you just took my roster spot or projected roster spot. It, that was my ticket back into the league. Now, will anybody else give me that shot? And we have to really look at that that way. We have to think to ourselves, is Isaiah Thomas going to get another shot in this NBA league into the uh, big boy leagues if the Lakers passed on him, which they Probably are since they've gotten Rajon Rondo back. So can he get that opportunity? Can can our team say, look, we're gonna invest in him? Look, he's forty two years old. He hasn't played 
a full season in NBA for a while. You can't really count 2020 when we only played three games on a 10-day contract and it just went all downhill for him. We can't say that. We can also say we can't. We have to hold that against him. I would I would give it another shot. I saw Thomas was a good basketball, decent and good basketball player. I think he can give another considerable run in the NBA. I think like Carmel, if you give him a shot, he's at least going to pan out to how the team can sculpt him, mold him into that position where he'll into his role where he best fit. And I hope that makes sense, because I'm trying to explain it right away, but it's like, eh, this is how it looks. This is how it's going to, like, this is how my brain's going to say, right? Brain to mouth, mouth says it. Pretty much how I'm thinking about this entire thing. But, IT would be interesting. Isaiah Thomas would be interesting from the standpoint, can he get back in the NBA if the Lakers give him a hard no after the buyout of Rajon Rondo? He clears waivers and he re-signs the organization after a year departing from him. Could that be? Can he get a job? I think some teams would need a backup point guard. A third string point guard, and I'm not saying that it is a third a third string uh, point guard. I am saying this though, he's a point guard. It's not a starter. Maybe he could get a few minutes behind starter like minutes, but it's also like, is can he be a solid backup? I think he's a solid backup, but not a good starter. I don't think he can be a starter. Until he gets back in the NBA and he plays two years minimum before being there for a starting job. Because who would take him? Because by, by those numbers, he'll be 34 or 35 years old getting and starting a job again. But also, if he's getting started like man's off a, off a bench roll, it's like, okay, that's not bad. That's not a bad deal. And I don't think we should take it as a bad deal. But before we jump the gun, we also have to remember, he's not on a team. He's fighting for his career, for his childhood dream, for his livelihood here. And I say that in the terms of playing in the NBA again. He can continue playing in crossover leagues, in these pro-am leagues, but that only does so much. You rather be on a national stage, on a televised stage, and that would be the National Basketball Association. So, I guess my big thing would be, can IT get back into his league without the Lakers? And I believe he can. It just depends what team is willing to give him that shot. And I don't have teams in mind right now, because my brain is processing it, processing it this way before the podcast. But I'm just trying to think about it logically. Before we talk about a Carmel Anthony type return, and I'm just using that because of recency bias, if recency memory of what we saw two or three years ago, one or two, where he got that opportunity again, all I'm saying is this. Before we jump the gun, can IT answer this one question? Can he get back in the NBA? Sure. Can he do it for the Lakers? I, I don't know. And I'm not saying it's right down the Lakers. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not applying that one bit. I'm just saying, were the Lakers the best shot 
to get him back in the NBA. Because if they're going to offer him a role, and they were going to be a playoff contender, that may have been the best shot of showcasing your added and or improved, improved skills for that franchise, for those fans, for the general NBA fan. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. But I believe Isaiah Thomas is going to make a team. But it's going to be for the preseason. I truly do believe that with all my heart and soul. Because I believe he's going to get a job for the freaking for preseason. But it's going to be harder for the regular season. I think he's going to get, I think he's going to get a few opportunities in the preseason. He's going to accept one. And he's going to decide his own fate on how he plays with the given rule and the given minutes. I think it has to come for the preseason. And preseason's coming up soon. Before regular season on October 19th. So with all of that being said. You really have to say. What more can I do if anything else I can do. To get onto a squad. To get onto like a practice type squad. A preseason squad. A franchise that will look at my talent to say. Hey I can do this. You need me. Or I can provide some supplemental value to your organization. That's how I'm looking at it. But it's going to come for the form of preseason. Or some team is just going to be crazy enough to give them that opportunity without seeing them in the preseason. Like giving them like a preseason trial, preseason test. To really see if he's grown from the last time he's played in the NBA. As a, star, or as a starter or as a player in the NBA for a organization. But those are my thoughts. Those are my thoughts right there. I've taken this more in depth than what I originally planned to do. But I think it's valid. I think those are valid points. We need to all assess and really look within the set. Is this player really worth it? Given the best shot he had with the Lakers before Rondo bought his contract. And it just got all squandered away. And I'm not saying that... The Lakers were riding down his NBA return, but they're on the verge of signing him. I'm just saying, before Rondo came and bought his contract, that has to hurt for IT. It has to, because he's like, I'm finally going to get a shot. I'm getting my name back in the conversation. It's like, well, Rondo just shot you dead. Right in the heart, stabbed you in the back. And I don't think it was intentionally, because who could have guessed that? I don't think anybody could have. Uh, and we all knew Rondo, Rajon Rondo was going to try to buy out his contract. Because who wants to play for the rebuilding organization of Memphis? Of the Memphis Grizzlies. So you had that in mind. But then have that uh, shell uh, shocker of news. A bombshell of news that goes for the Lakers. Rondo would be like, okay... This is where we're at. And it pretty much crushed the hopes and dreams of Isaiah Thomas. And with all of that being said, it's going to make his path even harder. Especially when you knew an NBA team was on the verge of signing you before they valued someone with experience of being on their team more than you. But there's also a positive side to this before I move on to the next breaking news piece. 
that a team was on the verge of signing you and you have some potential left in you. So with all of that being said, a team reached out to you and they were on the verge of signing you. They gave you possibilities. And while they did not go through initially, and I'm not saying they're not going to offer them a contract with the two spots, with the two roster spots left after Rajon Rondo, all I'm saying is you now have that glimpse, that sliver of hope to say, whoa, an NBA team that was in contact with me, or how many more he had. But that's big news. That's significant news for the 32-year-old. I believe IT can come back to the league, but teams also have to be hopeful of his process and how much he's grown in that process of trying to get back to the NBA. Look at Carmelo Anthony. He matured. I'm not the biggest Mel fan ever, but he's matured from taking all the shots in the world to being selective through force of Portland and just, I guess, maturing for the game of basketball and learning the hard lessons. With that being said, let's move on to our next one, and that is this. Lauren Markkinen has been traded to the Cavaliers by a sign-and-trade. I broke this down courtside heat, but I'm not going to talk about, about the trade. We talked about it on the website. We talked about it over the weekend. However, this is what I'm going to address. The Cavaliers did good. The Cavaliers did good getting Lori Markkinen. They really did not give up anything for him. They brought in the third team. It was a freeway trade. They brought in Portland. Excuse me. They brought in Portland to clear up some cap. To clear up some space. To make sure Lori Markkinen's deal could go through. Because he signed a four-year, $64 million contract with the team. To stay with the team long term. It was all about being long term. About getting that bag. Getting that money for marketing. Of course for the Cavaliers to see some positive upsides for this player. But now. And I post this on social media and whatnot. About the updated rosters and whatnot. But it's truly interesting when looking at all of this. I'm going to pull it up real quick. Uh, but it, it, when looking at this, it's like, um, Laurie Markin, people may not see the inherent value of him, but it, it's valuable. And what am I trying to gauge at here? What I'm trying to gauge at here is this. They found a new forward. They found a new power forward. This is one step closer of trying to get rid of Kevin Love. But they gave a Larry Nance Jr. and a picker. A pick just for Lauren Marketing. Lauren Ace Jr. is a bench player. And a pick is a pick. Which can be valuable in some cases. So I'm not underestimating that. I'm not undermining that. All I'm saying is this. If Lauren Marketing could put up 10 and 5 per game. That is huge. Or 10 10 per game. Or 8 and 10 per game. And produce to his highest abilities. Through the performance of the Cavaliers. That is huge because now you're saying to everyone, like, look, this is what we're about. This is where we're gauging at. We should not be taken lightly. We can't be taken lightly. And looking at everything, it's like, okay, the Cavaliers have something. And I truly do believe that because Lori Morgan is looking it up right now. 
is um oh what, oh come on I I saw I looked at Lauren Market on him, Lauren Market him, he's a power forward center. The center right now is Jared Allen. The power forward's Kevin Love. They want to get rid of Kevin Love, and I'm going to talk about the last piece of breaking news now. And this ties in with everything. Kevin Love rejected the bio option. He's not going to take a contract bio. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want to do that. He just doesn't have. He denied it. Like there's no going back. He said it will never happen uh, through his actions, right? So with all of that being said, they got all their marketing. They're trying to push, push the envelope as far as they can to say, Kevin, you're not worth us. You're not worth anything anymore. Your time is up. Your time was up in 2016, 17, and 18, 19, and just now. Uh, they're, they're trying to say to him, we found someone younger to replace you. We're paying them big money. We're trying to get rid of your two-year $60 million contract. Because you're a waste. That's why we signed a new power for to a four-year, $64 million contract. They're trying to get rid of him. They're trying to get the buyout contract option, but that was shut down. But they're trying to get trade sub. They're trying to get something sub to get rid of this guy. But they're pushing that envelope. They're pushing that seed, that planted seed that's been growing within this organization. Built up a first frustration, anger, tenseness, and all of those, all of those different emotions through getting rid of Kevin Love. They're trying to get rid of Kevin Love. And now this is like the cherry on top. This is one of the cherries on top. And it was the fact that Lord Markin was traded away from the Bulls to the Cavaliers. Get traded away to the Bulls. I mean, to the Cavaliers. Was to replace Kevin Love. It was a shot, Kevin Love. Kevin Love said he was. He wished he was the one being traded instead of Larry Jr. He doesn't want to be in there. It's a hate for hate situation. But he doesn't want to give up all that money. He doesn't want to. He's not. He doesn't want to. That's not. That's not how it's gonna work. He's not have room for that bio option. So he crushed that. But the entire reason of this trade was just not to take a back of power forward. You still trust the aging Kevin Love, the 32-year-old Kevin Love. But it's because they're trying to get rid of him. They're trying to build this around Lori Marketing, Colin Sexton, Jaron Allen, Darius Garland, right? They're trying to build around those guys. They're not trying to do this with Kevin Love anymore. They're trying to go in a young guy's roster with a depth chart that's mainly of younger guys. Kevin Love is one of the last guys that are not useful for that team. That is the significance of this trade. It was by no means getting a power forward that was about to be a backup. They gave him that huge contract, the one that he's been looking for, for big numbers. Despite Kevin Love to tell him how bad he is, and to, um, and to say you're gonna be our starter with star-like money, star-like minutes. This is where we're at now, and this is where we've grown at. Kevin Love has accepted his frustration with the team, and the team has done the same. This is just 
from a fan's perspective and from a reporter's perspective, this is hatred. That's all it is. You're just trying to push the envelope saying, how mad can we get you to force a trade out here or force something out of Cleveland? Because they're making their intentions known. They're making their intentions apparent. They're not trying to spare words or try to protect feelings. They're like, no, you're bad. You're not good here. You're wasteful money. You're wasteful minutes. You have no more talent. That's why we traded for a young power forward in Lori Marketing. That's all they're doing. That's all they're doing. Because they realize, A, Lori Markin has talent, but B, we need to get younger guys at that position to get rid of Kevin Love. Because Markin is only 24 years old. There's eight years different. Eight years difference. They're trying to get rid of him. They're trying to get rid of Kevin Love. But that's all it is. That's why they made this move. For talent, for potential talent, right? And to get rid of Kevin Love. To finally say, you know what, Kevin? You're done. That's it. No more trying to run this ship. We made some bad contract decisions by signing you back. By re-signing you. Not again. You're getting out of here. One way or another. But no one wants to take on that huge contract. Because everyone's realizing that the value of Kevin Love is dwindling down day by day. Every time he takes a shot... It's going down because they know his performance rates are going down. He can't perform the way he used to. He just can't. His body has gone through too many injuries and too many rehabs. And no one wants to take that risk. But that's why they're able just to trade Lord Markman. Because the poor Trailblazers act as a way to get them draft picks for Derek Jones Jr. And all of those different things. But that's the whole thing behind it. They're trying to say, no, this is this is it. This is it. This is it, fellas. We're not doing this just to do anymore. Because we can all just keep on saying how much this franchise and the player hates each other. But they're not even trying to hide this anymore. They're trying to get rid of him. Who knows if Kevin Love's going to start? Meaning if Floor Marks is have more starting minutes or not. So why do they care? If they're trying to replace him through their known actions, why are they going to stop there? Why won't they just take away his time? Why won't they try to deactivate him as much as possible through the decrease of minutes and just overall paid attention to? That is something, my friends, we're going to have to monitor because... While people have seen this as a normal trade, and it may be, to me, this is no normal trade. This is a shot to the heart. This is a knife being stabbed in the back of Kevin Love, for lack of a better phrase. This is frenemies. This is like friends and enemies being combined. And this is no longer being frenemies and just enemies. It truly is that way. And I hate to turn to that dark way, but... Every player needs to have an expiration date. And the way the Cleveland Cavaliers are doing it is through saying, you have no more talent, you are not worth that much money, 
and we were getting someone younger that we're going to pay him more money for than you. Truly, that is all that they are saying. And they're not hiding it anymore. Some teams will beat around the bush. We'll try to make it all presentable. So decorated. Not the Cavaliers. So I know. Enough of this silliness. Enough of this shyness. You're a bum. You're injury prone. We need you out of Cleveland. We want to win games and you're not a part of this new mentality. This culture doesn't like you and you don't want to adapt to this new culture. That's what it is. That's what it always has to be. They wanted to get rid of Kevin Love after LeBron left, after Kyrie left, after all these different guys left, and they were back in the rebuilding process. Kevin Love may be a nice guy, but niceness only gets you so far, and he's not been so nice to the organization. That's why he made his comments about he wished he would have been traded instead of Larry Nice Jr. He wished he took that place. He doesn't want to be in Cleveland, but he doesn't want to give up that money. He's going to be 34 years old when his contract ends. He doesn't want to give up that money. Why? Because he's not. he knows he's not going to get those big contracts anymore. Unless someone's stupid enough to get him, give him more. He has a really nice agent. I'm just saying, uh, that's where we're at right now. It's no, mis- it's no conspiracy fear. It's no mystery. There's no added secrets. No added, like, um, like sauce. Like, no extra ingredients. No fluff. This is legit to the point, as the as far to the point I can take it, because that's what it is. This is no clickbait. This is for real. What I am telling you now is secrecy and blatantness right in the face of this organization and one of their best stars on that team, one of their aging players, right? This is not how many people you could ask two years ago, last year one had to fall. But this fall may be messy, may be long, but the Cavaliers will get their way. They just will. It's going to end in the team's favor. It just is. And that is a fact, and that's an undeniable one. With all of that being said... We have one final piece of breaking news. And we are wondering where the children of the Curry divorce will be be standing at. Would they be standing at Sonia, their mother, or Dell, their father? Stephen Curry has commented on it. And And he is choosing the side of his mother. But why? If well, if no one really knows, and this is getting to the messy part, and we knew something more was behind it, through rhetorical questions and through honest, open questions. In the divorce, in the divorce documents, Del Curry, both, both sides, but we're going to start with Del. Del Curry, um, accused, alleged in documents of the, of the divorce, right, that Sonia Curry cheated on him with a former tight end of the New England Patriots and that she was living with him currently. However, Sonia 
who is never going to admit that, whether it was true or not, denied of those claims, right? And said he was, she was not living with him. And there's all these different details of, well, he's not letting me live back in the house. It's very uh, strange, very strange relationship. All these different things. And like, uh, like where Dale Curry was accused of cheating during his entire NBA career posting because of his name, right? That Sonya Curry uh, allegedly claimed that her, she knew it was going to happen. Her own children knew that he was cheating on his wife with other women. Um, then you have Dell firing shots at Sonya saying, No, you, you've been cheating on me with a former tight end of the New England Patriots. But they've been going back and forth. But. But in everything, Stephen Curry, who's just signed a huge contract, who's at the top of his world, couldn't care less for his father and more for his mother. And this is just not biased here, but Stephen Curry doesn't believe Dal Curry's cheating allegation against his mother, Sonia Curry. He's going to believe his mother instead. Point blank and simple. He's going to believe her and said. And he, and he added this. That he's also disappointed that this had to come out public. That instead of being a man. Uh, for Not the man part in his um, words. He never said for not being a man. I'm just adding that. Just, clear, um, just clarifying that so no one pictures the wrong pain, right? Paint, uh, paints the wrong picture, but he's disappointed that his father, Dal Curry, made this situation public. He doesn't believe he hadn't, he, he should have done that. He doesn't believe that personal, that deep level should have been, should have been, um, What's the word? Should have been put out there. That, that privacy should have been put out there for the entire world to see. He doesn't believe that. And now, since that's happened, Steph's relationship has been strained with his father after this. Um, Should we be surprised? Uh, so, Stephen Curry goes with his mother. He doesn't buy one thing his dad says. Not one thing he says about all the chain allegations. He believes his mom. So wait a minute. Does that mean if he's taking the side of his mother, does that mean something? Does that mean was she partially, if not fully correct? And we're going to go with this uh, notion for a second. So bear with me that her, that her husband actually cheated on her in the NBA and her own kids knew that and she knew that too and then you hear all the crazy stories about him um in his strained relationship with his own wife and some of the possessions that he's owned and what he's done and allowed to happen under his own household is there truth to that if Stephen Curry 
is truly backing up his mother, which I am not doubting for a second. So let me clarify that. I am just speaking from a neutral stance, no bias, because I have no idea what this is, what's going on personally in um outside of the public's eye, as I have no relationship to either one, as you guys can clearly tell. But does that mean Sonia Curry was telling the truth about her own husband cheating on her when he was in the NBA and post the NBA? Should that be something? And there's all these different details, all these different stories coming out or that this is what's happening. I'm just saying that I told you this was not going to go away. This is just keeps on coming. Uh, and to be honest, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised one bit because we knew this was going to carry on. We knew this was going to keep on pursuing into something bigger. So, with all that being said, I knew this was going to be big, big, but this is getting bigger. And now children, Stephen Curry is now saying that I side with my mom. That he's taking sides now. This is very strange. It's not, I don't think it's strange. It's, I don't think this is like, I don't think it's strange, but all I'm saying is that things are unfolding before our eyes, and this is now saying that he, even she's either she's lying or he's lying. One and two are lying, or both of the two are telling the truth, and they have had a very messed up relationship through secrecy and not being able to trust each other. It's it's crazy. It's just crazy. I. You just yeah you just yeah. Yeah, it's just crazy because Dale Curry's um, alleging that Sonia cheated on him with an NFL player. Or then Sonia is claiming that he cheated on her with several women. I, I don't know what to make of this in the sense of who's right. And you cannot declare who's right. We just know what's being presented and what the quote-unquote facts are what the evidence is and Stephen Curry and his wife I'm not going to try to pronounce her first name because I would just botch it I don't want to be disrespectful here have chosen the side of Sonia Curry his mother so that is going to be very interesting because as we all know, Sonia Curry was very close to Stephen Curry. Where his relationship with his father well, could always been strained or could always just been awkward. Where they were not as close as his mom and him. But the point of this entire topic was to say, sides have been chosen. And his father is being left in the dust. Now, we still have two kids left. Seth and their daughter, who I forgot their name, her name. Um, it's going to be very interesting. 
I've talked about this topic two times, I believe, in two separate podcast episodes. But one million when this first came out. I've talked about it on the website. Um, but this is unfolding before our eyes. But now the kids don't even believe their own father. So where do we go for that? Because now what you're basically saying is, is that, okay, what, okay, I'm, I'm going to take through hypothetical scenarios. I don't know if these scenarios can happen. Let's say in the divorce, they're splitting everything up, but Dale Curry pulls something to where he takes majority of the money, where he takes majority of the possessions or assets of homes, cards, different things like that. Now, if we know that, and he's saying, I'm going to leave you stranded. I'm going to leave Sonia stranded because she cheated on me. She does not deserve my wealth. Now, wait a minute. It, let's say Stephen Curry is the only one that backs up her, uh, his mother. You don't think he's going to take care of her? And the huge contract he got, if their bond is really that close and he's... Uh, 100% got his mother's back, which I am not doubting for one minute. I have no doubts in my mind that if something like that ever happened, he wouldn't say, I'm going to take care of you. Here's millions of dollars. You can stay in as many homes as you want. Get all the cars that you want. Because he's been getting two, two to second $200 million contract Millions upon millions upon millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars. I bet you something like that had to happen. He would take care of his mom before his dad, 100%. And I do not know if that would be true or not, or if he would help anyone or not. But all I'm saying is, is this: he, if he had, if he had to help someone, he'd take his mom over to dad. If something ever happened in court, or if something ever happened to where Del Curry got the upper hand and he took everything away from Sonia and put it all into his own reserve, into his own uh, name, wherever she can't touch it, I 100% believe this. Sonia Curry would have the backing of her son, of her biological son, Steph Curry, Stephen Curry. I truly 100% believe that because if he's truly got her back, which again, I'm not denying or doubting in any case, then him spending a few million dollars on his mom or giving, giving her money for life, I don't think he'll have a problem with that. I don't think he'll have a problem helping family out, especially during this time. But for him to also come out and say, that he's disappointed in his own father for bringing this publicly to the public eye when he, it looks like through his actions, through his words, that he, sorry, shouldn't have been. And now there's a strained relationship. I don't think that they're ever going to make amends on that. But it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting how this all plays out. This is not going to be the last you hear. I said it last time. I'm going to say it again. This is going to keep getting weirder and keep growing stronger through all these different reports, all these different rumors and different things like that. Uh, It's going to be crazy.
it is legit going to be crazy. But at least we now know where a child and his wife stands. Stephen Curry and his wife stand with his mom and her mother-in-law. Where does Seth Curry fall? Where did their daughter fall off? Where would they fall in character? Would they give their dad sympathy or no? Either way, Stephen Curry, who's made, I don't know, like a hundred times over, the money that Seth Curry could ever dream of, that's now taken aside his mom? Come on. If the man saved his money correctly and has all the money in the world that will last him a lifetime and 10 more, a 400 more, uh, he set for life. And he could set his mother for life. He, if he retired today and he gets, and he doesn't, and he gets partial of that money from the contract, I'm telling you, He's sitting on money right now. And I don't think he's afraid to use it on his mom. Especially in a situation like this. But that's what we got so far. And that is the final piece of breaking news. And with all that being said. That's it for breaking news. And that means that we're going to be going to our off-season series. We're going to try to go from a... Um, an in-depth topic of a messy breakup, a messy divorce of the Currys to now a um, off-season series that we've always been continuing, whether you guys are new or returning or somewhere in between that. I don't know if you guys can be in between of that. Either way, if you guys have never heard of this or never gone up to these minutes of when we do this series, it's called off-season series and it's called what did the offseason teach us about these two teams? And today, we have the Detroit Pistons and the Los Angeles Clippers. I'm actually, I'm actually happy to do, do the Clippers. I'm actually really excited to do the Clippers and Pistons. We have not talked about them yet, and I think it's going to be a really good opportunity to talk about them. I'll... I'm only going to make one exception, one exception to the rule, and that is this. I will, I will do one drafted player, one drafted player. Now be set, uh, say Cunningham. That's for both teams. That's the only time I'm going to make an exception. Because I think we can value them more, Right. If that makes sense, but that's that's where I'm that's where I'm getting at. I I have no idea if that entire statement, that entire sent few sentences I just said actually makes sense. But that's what we're rolling with. But starting off first, let's let's go down to the Clippers. Let's go down to the Clippers organization. Let's go see what they've done the um off season. We're gonna go who who's um who's in who's out. Who resigned? Who extended? If any was re- um extended, and we'll take it from there. And I'll give you my thoughts on it. We'll go to the final team. So let's get to it right here, right now. So Los Angeles Clippers, through signing and trades, have was able to acquire uh Justin Winslow, 
and Eric Bledsoe. And this is excluding the draft. Now, who was out? Pat Beverly, Rajon Rondo, Rajon Rondo, and Daniel Arturo. Who was re-signed? Kawhi Leonard, Reggie Bush, and Nicholas Batum, or Batum, however you pronounce the last name. I apologize for the botch. But no it's extended. Real quick. So, the biggest goal, the biggest goal of this offseason, after the tornado yell of Kawhi Leonard, after all the speculation of Kawhi Leonard, where he was going to go, the biggest sigh of relief, the biggest hail of relief was seeing Kawhi Leonard re-signed to a four-year contract with that team to keep the experiment life between him and PG-13, Paul George. Because this will keep him paired up with Paul George until 2025. Because with Kawhi Leonard, it was like, oh, is he going to go to this team? Is he going to stay with the Clippers? Or is he going to try to go in these new adventurous ways? Because he rejected, he denied the player option, and but then it was like, okay, what is he gonna do from there? And he signed with the Clippers. He took, they took care of business there. But they also brought back Reggie Jackson and Nicholas Bottom. That was huge for that team, because now you're adding more pieces back to that conference finals team. And why did they not advance to the NBA finals? They still made it. While being down 0-2 in several series. Last year's postseason. Last year's team was the best team by far that they had. And that would be Kawhi Leonard, PG-13, Paul George, um, Reggie Jackson, Ivan Zubak, and Nicholas Bottom or whoever they brought back in, right? But it was also... When healthy, Justice Winslow has been an intriguing player. He's been a good player when healthy. And that can add to the depth, to the big man position, to the forward and or center position of giving them more bodies to work with, more muscle, more power when healthy, and more scoring abilities and more defensive breakdowns. So I thought that was huge. I thought that was huge. I thought they took care of business by... Resigning Kawhi Leonard, Reggie Dak, Jackson, Nicholas Bottom. I think that was huge. Now, being able to trade for Eric Bledsoe and sign Justice Winslow, that's going to be huge. I'm going to tell you why right now. Because even though they lost Rajon Rondo, Patrick Beverly, and the bench player Daniel Arturo, getting Winslow is going to be a great backup piece or potential starter. But Eric Bledsoe as their new point guard will be terrific. Or or one of their main starting guards. That's going to be terrific. They made good sense there. They made sure they get good players. So well there. They did. You, you, did, you did good there. I'm going to credit them with that. Now one, piece, one of the things I hate to see was the fact that you lost... Uh, uh, you lost Patrick Beverly. Rajon Rondo, I'm okay losing. Daniel Arturo, I'm okay losing. 
But Patrick Beverly was a great defensive piece. And he made that team special defensively. That made that team more hardworking. Made that team more aggressive. And more competitive. Uh, can we see that? I get he was on expiring contract, but I, loved, I would have loved to see him re-sign with the franchise. I'm sorry, excuse me. Because he wanted to come back to the franchise. He, he was open to that idea, but he just didn't want to have the veteran there on an expiring contract and just try to expand different, different atmospheres and whatnot. And that's where they led with, uh, with Eric Bledsoe, so I get it. So, right then and there, they took care of business with Kawhi. And they got Eric Bledsoe. The key favorites here were was Eric Bledsoe, Kawhi Leonard, Reggie Jackson. Then the biggest thing that I wish they would have done that they failed on was getting back Patrick Beverly. Because now, to me, defense is going to be lacking. Because throughout the postseason, you saw Patrick Beverly being in... Who? Well, sorry about that. Wow, um, apologies for that. But you saw Patrick Beverly be an annoyance on the court to the guards and whatnot, to all these different players. Like, where he was able to do mental games, be physical, and just being able to go switch that on and off. And it was such a huge benefit for that team. And how could you really have stopped that? So, to me, they made a mistake by not getting that back. I kind of wish that I could have seen more Patrick Beverly, but he's with the Timberwolves right now unless he gets departed somewhere else, right? But that to me was that. The Clippers, the Clippers to me, made saw moves of getting good pieces to go around Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. The biggest lock they're going to have this season is, is defense. And they're not going to have that one defensive player. The Kawhi Leonard's going to be a good defensive piece. He's a good defensive player. He's also a good offensive player. But I'm just saying, solo on a defensive end, besides the Kawhi, besides the Kawhi, that's really it. Truly. So I saw losing Patrick Beverly was way more significant than what people are recalling to or what we may be singing about in our mind. Because statistics did not do Patrick Beverly do justice. He was just such a good player there. Anywhere he goes, he's going to be a great defensive player. That's just truth. That's undeniable facts. However, even though I get, I get why they had to do that. They didn't have enough money going around. They needed to make some moves happen. They wanted to get different pieces in. But now I'm going to look at the team real quick. I'm going to look up this. Uh, Clippers team because I've not looked at the ro- I looked at the roster before I just can't remember it. But now you're gonna have Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Reggie Jackson, Ivan Ivan Zubak, and oh who's oh who's the last guy? Oh Eric Bledsoe. That's gonna be a potential starting five or just. The five best players on that roster. That's going to be hands down what's it going to be. That's what's going to be. And they have good backup pieces like Sergi Baca. Like Terrence Mann. 
like Marcus Morris, like Luke Kennard, like Brandon Boston, like Keon Johnson, like Yogi Ferrell, like Justin Justice Winslow, like Jason Preston, um, uh, Mary Coffey, different guys like that. So they took care of what they needed to take care of. They got rid of the biggest scare, which was Kawhi Leonard re-signing with team. They were able to add more pieces by getting more fine-tuned with the point guard position through Eric Bledsoe. I was getting through the trade of uh, Patrick Beverly, uh, Ortuo, uh, Daniel Ortuo, and, um, of course, Rajon Rondo. So I can see what they did. They got someone... Uh, maybe maybe a year younger, something like that. But they're able to get back someone that they drafted, someone that's good point in the point guard position. He's a starter, but not what the Sun thought he was going to be before departing to Milwaukee. What Milwaukee thought he was going to be when he really wasn't. But I think for what the Clippers need, what the LA team needs, what that franchise needs, is he's going to fit well for that organization. I truly do believe that. So, the biggest loss was not re-signing Patrick Beverly. However, they were able to benefit off of that by getting Eric Bledsoe and potential point guard talent for that team. But now, you're going to have some being able to facilitate the ball better. And even you're going to have your core of uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. You have a good bench. And you're build, you have building blocks. You have building pieces. You've proven players. And you have Reggie Jackson. You got all these different players. To me, that is one heck of a basketball team. And one that should make the conference finals again. And should win depending on their opponent. I'm just saying, that's, that's a playoff-bound team. That's a playoff-hunger team. Now, one of the things we are going to have to consider is when should Kawhi Leonard return? It's not going to be the start of the season. He's rehabbing from a torn ACL. Yeah, I wouldn't expect it from the beginning of the season. Maybe it within the next a month or three, somewhere around that range. We sh- maybe could expect him when he's trying to rehab from that from that injury, from that torn ACL. When we can see him make his debut yet, who knows? But they're adding pieces to make sure that if and when Kawhi Leonard is down now, they can play. Without him, and he did that in the postseason last uh, season, but it just proven it to be not good enough for that Phoenix Suns team when there was more star players. But by getting it now, it's like okay, we got some good players, we got some great players, we got some decent players. We filled the bench, we filled out rotational players, we filled out the first unit, starting five. That is huge. So to me, if I had to give like a number on this, I, I I would have to maybe give them an eight out of ten. But what did the offseason teach us about this team? Is that they took care of the biggest scare of them all, which was re-signing Kawhi Leonard. They found a more solidified point guard, and they had to let go Patrick Beverly and an aging Rajon Rondo to get said point guard, which was Eric Bledsoe. But besides that, that's what I learned from that team. They didn't, they didn't make the most impressive moves, but they made some good moving moves, if that makes sense. Now, here we go. 
I'm not a big fan of this team. I was never a big fan of the uh, Pistons. But the one nice thing I can say is they got rid of Mason Plumley. And Mason Plumley, if you guys do not know yet, is a legit bum who I really don't know why they ever signed him to a three-year $25 million contract. He's not even worth $100. He's not even worth a penny, in my opinion. But it's just one man's opinion, right? Can't all share the same opinion. But this is my one of you. The Pistons made some interesting moves and some good moves. I'm going to make one draft exception. And I said that I said it was going to be about, um, say, Cunningham, who was drafted first overall in this, past, in this year's NBA draft uh, a month or two ago, right? So around there. That's the only draft exception because he plays an important part in his franchise. And I kind of can't exclude him because... That pretty much uh, revolves around the moves of Detroit and how well they actually did. But here are the players that were in, who were out, who re-signed, and who potentially extended. But no one extended, so I'm just going to exclude that category. So, who was in? Say Cunningham, Kenny Olenek, Trey Lyles, Isaiah Livers, um, Chris, Chris Smith... And Jimmeronic Pickett, who is out, Mason Plumley and Wayne Ellington, who is re-signed, Corey Joseph, Ronnie McGruger, Frank Jackson, Saban Lee, Hamdio uh, Dalio, Dalio. Wow. They made a lot of moves, but they didn't. This was a meh kind of offseason for the team. It just was. This offseason was meh. They got Say Cunningham. They got Kenny Olenek. That's all. Just going to go into by those two players. By the draft prospect of Cunningham and by the talents of Olenek. That is it. Olenek is a decently good player. But you're not going to be able to build a team around him. But he's going to be one of the starting pieces on that team. But then you just got basically a bunch of bench players. Like Trey Lyles? Really? Chris Smith? Really? Uh, Pickett? Really? Plumwood was amazing to get rid of. Same with Wayne Ellington. Two complete bust and bums, pretty much. Corey Joseph, okay, that was not bad. But Saban Lee, Frank Jackson, Rodney McGruger, Dalio, those are all bench players. Because if I look up the Pistons roster right now, the Pistons had a meh offseason because they made moves, but were any impacted besides the first overall pick who has high talent and high um, expectations for the season. Then you signed Kelly Olenek. Besides that, you're pretty much, oh, because you have, say Cunningham, you got Jeremiah Grant, Luke Garza, Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stewart, Dennis Smith Jr., Josh Jackson, and Hilly Okafor. Oh, uh, wow. Killing Hayes? Like, does anyone else see that? Like, who would be the starting five? So we'll go, say Cunningham, Killing Hayes, Jeremiah Grant, Kelly Olenek, and Sadiq Bey. That may be a good starting five. I don't know. But when I'm looking at this roster, it's like, 
no one really wants to play for Detroit. I get it, people are high on Jeremiah Green, averaged 22 points, good for him. Sadiq Bey is also interesting, he averaged 12 points per game. That was his rookie season, so Sadiq Bey something. Same with Killian Hayes, he averaged 6 points in his opening game for 26 games. But wow. Just wow. A long, awkward pause because Luke Garza is their starting center. This team actually makes me more depressed. I was actually feeling good until this team's roster was shown in my face. Olenek, Cunningham, Hayes, Grant, Bay. Oh. It's going to be interesting to adjust. This is a rebuild team. This is nothing short of rebuild. This is going to take five years. At best, maybe three years to try to get everything situated under control to be a winning team. Maybe I'm wrong and they come out exposed this season. But what I saw this offseason was just meh. Right? I don't know. Uh, but what we can say is the Pistons offseason with the first overall pick was all about, say, Cunningham. They were all about the draft, not so much about the free agency process, about whatever pieces the offseason had. They were worried about, say, Cunningham and different things like that. They were not going to take OKC's offer from a bunch of draft picks and shake out Gilgit Alexander. No, they wanted to make sure they got, say, Cunningham. Then now you were able to find potential foundational piece that is Cunningham. That would be something that the rebuilding franchise can dream of, of his shooting abilities, offensive and defensively. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not going to speculate on uh, say Cunningham. He was a good basketball player in uh, college and whatnot. But here's the thing: there's nothing to prove him to. Some guys can't transition from college to basketball. I'm sorry, college to the big boy leagues, to the National Basketball Association. It's just two different territories. And But you brought, hey, but the good news is you brought back veterans, which was McGruger and Joseph. Uh, oh, Lennox going to space the floor. And Isaiah Stewart is going to be able to have a little more contact in him. Guys, majority of the guys you signed are bench players. That's not me trying to be disrespectful here, but it's not as bad as the Pelicans, but still, it's just meh. It's not good, it's not bad, it's just neutral. But it makes you depressed after a while just reading off all these guys' names. And like I said before, they can have the best season in the world or one of the worst seasons in the world again. All I know is this. It was about, say, Cunningham. Not about the offseason. They didn't care for the offseason. They tried to control kids' future, um, a player's future through the draft. That's all they were doing. They knew no one was going to come here. because Well, Olenek was desperate, and they finally made one smart move of Mason Plum being gone. Like, Mason Plum was not even worth a dollar, and you gave him $25 million for over three years. That's just bad business. Like, that's really bad. 
Mason Plumlee couldn't even do anything basketball-related. I think the only time he was ever good in basketball is when he was laying on the ground. I think that was the only good time he played good basketball, good defense, which is when he laid down on the ground or just took a charge. I'm surprised they actually knew how to get hit, actually sell it enough. But I guess it's the only thing you really have to work on when you're not that good of a basketball player. You just have to take cheap shots for the team. I think even the water boy can do that. But, yeah, I just really do hate Mason Plumlee. He's not worth $25 million. It does a really bad signing. But you guys get where I'm going at. This team is interesting. Because, they, again, they did not have a bad offseason, nor did they have a good offseason. They had a mutual man offseason. It was all about the draft and the first overall pick, say Cunningham. Totally respectable. And then when you break it down, it's like, oh, Kelly Olenek and a bunch of bench players. Sadiq Bay is going to be interesting. Kelly Hayes is going to be interesting. Jeremy Grant is going to be interesting. Uh, just looking from an offseason perspective, they got an okay bench. Just looking at an offseason perspective, not too wild by it. But what the offseason taught us about this team is that they're all in on the draft and all in about, say, Cunningham and putting him as their franchise superstar for their rebuilding franchise. They went all in on their bench and got all the bench players in the world. But then they put Kelly Linick ahead of Luke Garza, hopefully, to the point where they can have more talent able to flourish. And able to have a good head coach. That's what the offseason taught me. The Pistons was not that team on this list in today's podcast that's going to make you jump up and down. Even if you were a fan of the Detroit organization. Because like everything else in Detroit, it's meh. Just really is. Uh, from the Lions to them to anything. Anything Detroit touches, just meh. It's bad. So it's good, it's something. Uh, but that's for, that's where I'm at. Like I'm not trying to have lots of words here, or be one of the most pine people in the world, where it's just like very boring to listen to. But it's also like, well, this is where we're at, and this is where we're standing. We're staring at the barrel of, say Cunningham and Kalinick. They were the two best players that were picked up by the Detroit Pistons. Everyone else was just a bench player. Or just somebody trying to make a roster because they had nothing better to do with their life. Um, But besides that, it's not good, nor is it bad. I gave you guys what the offseason taught us about this team. I wish them the best of luck. They do not have a bad team. Sadiq Bey is going to be interesting. Jeremy Grant is going to be interesting. Killian Hayes is going to be interesting. Say Cunningham's going to be very interesting to see how he varies in the Rookie of the Year awards. Everything's going to be so, so interesting. Uh, I just can't wait for it because it's going to be interesting what this team has with Cole and with all these different guys. It's going to be interesting. I hope it proves me wrong. Now, I kept this as a man, not bad, because I didn't want to be too harsh and I didn't want to be too praiseworthy of this team when they're really not supposed to be that way. But that is that. 
But that is why I gave him a meh. Not because I'm trashing them or not because I'm hyping them up. Just because I'm staying neutral. They just never know. But nothing really excited me besides Olenek and a Cunningham. But I guess when you go all in with a first overall pick, that's what your main focus is going to be on. That's what they did. And there's nothing wrong with that. We knew this was not going to be a quick turnaround. I don't expect it to be a quick turnaround. It would be positive for the team to have a quick turnaround. But I'm not going to put those expectations high. I'm still going to get like two to four years. Somewhere in that range. Two years would be amazing. Four years would be fine. It would be projected of them to do that way. But with all of that being said. That was our offseason series for today's podcast episode. We'll We'll be here again tomorrow morning. Tuesday morning. 8 a.m. We're not going to be missing. It's going to be exciting. And you know where to find us. You know where to find us. We're on courtsofheat.com, courtsofheat.medium.com, social media. We got twitter.com slash courtsofheat, instagram.com slash courtsofheatnba, facebook.com slash courtsofheat, tumblr.com slash courtsofheat, or just look look us up on Google. Dot com and it would just be Corte Heat one word Corte Heat on Google and that is that. And with all of that being said, I'll see you guys in the next podcast episode. It was fun kicking off our week with the podcast. It was really nice. I'm just happy we're able to continue with this offseason series. We'll see how these two offseason teams transition to the regular season, the preseason, the regular season. And going beyond into the postseason. We'll see where they rank. We'll see where the Currys are over the next few days. We'll see where Lauren Markkinen and Kevin Love are over these next few weeks, months, and wherever these timetables are going. We'll see where all these guys are going. And until then, I'm Joshua Unix, and I'm just signing off. I'll see you guys here tomorrow morning in the studio. Brian on the morning. Podcast drops 8 in the morning. Do not be late. And everybody's watching the most see sing on podcast or one of the closest things. I think we could be like on the top of a thousand chart. Maybe we can make that happen. I don't know. All I know is that that sound really catchy in my mind. And until then, until tomorrow in the morning, we'll keep you guys posted on social media. We'll keep you guys up to date with content. And until then, I'll see you guys in the next podcast episode. Go Suns. Even though that we blew our chance in the NBA Finals, I'm still on his run it back in the Finals next season. Until then, I'll see you guys tomorrow morning. And let's just go. Chris Paul's going to make it happen.